Exodus. We are going to do a postmortem. <laughs> so, spoiler alert, all of the, almost all, almost all of the people that saw all the miracles in Egypt, they were standing at the Red Sea when God wiped out the Egyptian army. Almost all of them died in the wilderness, having never made it to uh, the promised paradise of God. What I want to do, so we know, and again, if you read ahead in the story, you know this too, you know that when, it, when that critical moment came, the people did not have the faith to say yes to the Lord. What I believe, and what we're going to unpack over the next four weeks, is that they're, while saying an, uh, an insufficient faith, that's a real thing, but it's also maybe more abstract in our minds as to what that means, what I'm going to suggest is that there were the building blocks along the way it was not a one-off. It was not just a moment, a, a lapse. No, they had actually been building their faithlessness, and it's manifest in a few different ways as we approach that critical moment. And that's what I want to dissect uh, over the next four weeks. So keep in mind, we have been saying at Church on the Rock, and you've heard us say, we want you to love God, to Love people and make disciples. That is not a list of three things that we think that you should be doing. That is our invitation to you to walk into all of the promise and blessing of God made available to you through His mighty works done on your behalf. That's why we extend the invitation. Loving God, loving people, and making disciples is the promised land. That is the life of blessing that God has called you to. And yet, this will not be a spoiler alert because you already know this. Many people die in the wilderness and never get there. They never lay hold of all of the blessing of God that he has made available. So that's what we're going to get after. You ready? Exodus 15. The people come through the Red Sea. They see the Egyptian army wiped out. And then Miriam sings a song. And we didn't take time to cover that. But she sings a, a worship song, a praise song, to God for all of his mighty deeds in destroying the Egyptian army. And the very next thing that happens... When she stops singing, the people run out of water. Exodus 15, 24. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? So I want to talk about this, but I want to give a definition. And I actually, I really like the dictionary definition of the word grumble. You probably heard it plenty of times. To grumble is to mutter in discontent. <laughs> to complain sullenly. I'm actually a little, in, I'm a little indicted by my own teaching today because I enjoy, maybe you know this about me, I enjoy a little bit of dry, sarcastic humor, which often kind of like stumbles into the territory of like whiny 
humor, you know, complainy humor. To mutter in discontent, to complain sullenly. The people grumbled against Moses. We don't have any water. Now, we know God can take an entire ocean, stand it up on its end for a period of time, and then close it back on itself. But also, we need drinking water, and there's no drinking water, and so the people grumbled. That's chapter 15. That's immediately following the Red Sea. You jump to 16, chapter 16, the very next chapter, and in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses said. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all of the bread you want in the morning, which was manna, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? And then Moses says this, you are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Chapter 16, the very next chapter, chapter 17. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they muttered in discontent. They grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? What we have, the remaining uh, chapters of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers is the law. But the moment that we return back to the narrative, that is the storyline, Numbers 14, this is God speaking. How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, and in the wilderness, in this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you who has grumbled against me. It was an absence of faith first expressed as discontented muttering, sullen complaining. So here's my first observation. God does not like grumbling. God does not like grumbling because grumbling is an expression of my discontentment with his sovereign rule over my life. Ultimately, my grumbling is pointing a finger to the God of the universe and saying, I don't like the way that you're doing things. I don't like the way that you're running things. Moses makes it very clear, and God repeats this observation in that Numbers passage, that the grumbling of the people of Israel is grumbling against God. Do you not think the same God that brought you out of Egypt through his mighty hand through the Red Sea is, is able to supply you with bread and water? Fast forward several hundred years, the psalmist is writing a song, a worship song, and he's retelling this history. Psalms 106, verse 19, 
at Horeb, that's at Mount Sinai, they made a calf. And they worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. And then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. And they grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. Here's my second observation. God does not like grumbling. Because not only is grumbling an expression of discontentment with his sovereign rule, grumbling is an expression of your low estimation of the worth of his promises. So God says, I'm going to rescue you out of Egypt, we're going to walk through Sinai, and then I'm going to lead you into this land of promise. They're 20 minutes into Sinai, and they say, whatever it is that you were planning, whatever it is you had in store, is not worth our current discomfort. It's not worth it. Take us back, right? Grumbling is an expression of my low estimation of the worth of God's promises. Whatever it is that he has said he will make available to me, it's simply not worth the hassle. And so I complain. Jesus in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, you need to understand something. God knows that you need to eat and drink and that you need clothes to wear. He knows all those things. Seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness, and then what, he says? And those things will be added to you, right? <clears throat> There's two pieces of that. First of all, he's saying, do you, how big is your God that you serve? Is he capable of providing for your basic needs? He's capable, right? But he's saying something more than that. He's saying that the establishment of God's rule and reign on the earth is something that's infinitely more valuable than my next snack, right? Go after that. That is so much more valuable. Our life here on earth is brief, and the kingdom of God is eternal. So, so, so if you pay a price now without grumbling to lay hold of that which is of infinitely greater worth, have you lost anything? Certainly not. But your grumbling says otherwise. <laughs> your grumbling says, no, it's not worth it. I don't see the value. And so it's not worth whatever headache I deal with now. Fast forward several more hundred years. Jesus is being interrogated by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. John 6, and they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven 
It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, the manna. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And listen to this. This is fantastic. Verse 41. And at this, the Jews there begin to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. My third observation, God does not like grumbling because grumbling in this case blinds them to what Jesus is doing right in front of them. Here we have the second member of the, the Trinity, the incarnate Son of God, standing in the flesh. This is, a, this is one of the most significant uh, events in all of human history. And how are they responding? Muttering discontent, sullen complaining. They grumbled at him because he compared himself to manna from heaven and said, I am the bread of life from the Father. God does not like grumbling because it is, a, it is a manifestation of our blindness to the work of God unfolding right in front of our eyes, right here, right now. It's no different today. Fast forward, Paul, the convert, the murderer turned evangelist. Philippians 2, writing from prison, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So would you say there's been a fair amount of arguing going on these days? Yeah, yeah? Yeah, I'm not part of that. I just grumble about it quietly, right? <laughs> because I'm morally superior. <laughs> Do everything without grumbling or arguing, either taking your complaints public or keeping them to yourself as you mutter them. Do everything that you do without those things so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Sound familiar? Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. God does not like grumbling because grumbling darkens the light of Jesus meant to shine through you in an already dark world. It diminishes your calling and your capacity to serve as he has called you to serve. God, there's no proper response but to confess, to repent, to acknowledge that I too 
sometimes find myself faithless in the form of complaining, unable to see you at work, unable to trust your sovereign hand, to believe in the value of your promises, and as a result, compromising my own testimony. Not only as your follower, but as your hands and feet here now. So God, would you strengthen in us a faith that we draw through, through connection with you, through relationship with you, by clinging to you, a faith that is sufficient to produce in us a peace beyond understanding, joy without measure, a contentment, knowing that through you and in you, our promises, our reward is secure. You are our everything. So as we come to you now in worship, bring us again to the pure joy of knowing you. In Jesus' name, let's stand.